Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, you are good, and we are grateful to you for your goodness. And we thank you, Lord, for your word, and we ask now that you do a work in us as we read your word and as we, we try to pour through it and filter through it, that you open our hearts to see it with clarity and that you humble us to receive it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. All right, Matthew 16, verse 18. Jesus says, and I tell you, Peter, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then if we move down to Matthew 28, turn a few pages over, a few chapters over, verse 18 through 20. This is what we call the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said unto them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, last time that uh, I was in this pulpit, I told you there were four sections to that statement in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where Jesus said, you are Peter upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Those four sections were what I just said. You are Peter upon this rock, that's number two. Uh, I will build my church, number three. And then number four, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the uh, last time we covered the first two of those statements, you are Peter. If you remember, that was Petros, Petros which is... A stone or a pebble, and then upon this rock, which is Petrus, and that was bedrock, which is something solid, it's a foundation, and uh, Jesus is saying that that solid foundation is fundamental truth, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the reason why Jesus called it the Petrus, the rock, the foundation, is because it is the basis for all of Scripture and for all of, all of eternity. Because without that, there is no hope for salvation. Without that truth, there is no resurrection from the dead. Without that, there is there's no hope. That, that is the, the fulcrum on which everything else is balanced. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, Jesus said that upon that truth, I will build my church, and that's where I want to camp out today, that third section of this four-section statement. And if the Lord's willing, we're going to look at the fourth part where he says the gates of hell will not prevail against it next week. So, I will build my church. And I think that if we take a careful look at that, we can probably break it down into two parts, uh, both of which are very important, both of which are very profound and how they apply to us and the implications that we can take from them today. And they're, they're obvious how we break it down. The first one is, I will build, right? And then obviously the second section would be, my church, right? So in typical Jeff fashion, we're going to look at it backwards. That's kind of how I like to approach things, if you haven't figured it out by now. Reverse order. 
Um, Paul does that a lot, and I think he's a pretty good example to follow. So that's how I'm going to do it. It works for Paul, it'll work for me. It's very important for us to recognize and to acknowledge what it is that Jesus is telling us that he will be building. He is building a church. But it's not just any church, not a church, uh, not the church, not even my father's church, my church, something new. In fact, this is the first time that the word church, ecclesia, is ever used in the scripture. It's the first time we ever see it, okay? It's brand new. It means all believers across the world, and it is understood as a singular assembly. Everyone who believes and trusts in Jesus. This word church, as Jesus is using it here, is not a building. It's not even a gathering. Not, not here, anyway. Now, it, it may be used like that elsewhere in other places, but it's not used like that here. Here, when Jesus is talking about building his church, the most practical definition that I can come up with is to say that it's a creed. It's a, a, a way of living. Jesus is talking about changing hearts and drawing people unto him, removing the hearts of stone that they have and replacing them, giving them hearts of flesh. And in that way, because they believe their lives are changed, they follow a, a different creed, they live differently, and they have become part of his new church, his church. This church is new. Why is it new? Well, everything about it's new. The worship is new. You know, they're not, they're not burning bulls and, and calves anymore to worship. They worship now in spirit and in truth. They're not worshiping in a temple or a structure on a mountain now. The, they are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The body is the temple. Amen. So it's all new. It's His church. He is the head, not me. I'm not the head. The priest isn't the head of the church. You can't find a governmental body that's the head of the church. There's no, there's no earthly being that's the head of the church. It's not me. It's not Terry. It's not Barry. It's not Letty. It's not the, tele, the preacher on the television that's the head of the church. It's Jesus. And to the extent that any one of us say anything or preach anything or teach anything that disagrees with the word of God, we're in the wrong because Jesus is the head of the church. So, so Christ is the head. And again, we must never forget that he said, it's my church, my church, which brings me to the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. And he began the Great Commission by saying something so very important in chapter 28, verse 18. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. We have to take a minute to consider those two words. All authority. I could take a minute to consider that one word, all. But we're going to look at all authority because all we could talk about that, but all what? All authority, right? All authority. It's a lot of stuff he just put there. In those two words, Jesus has packed an entire universe of meaning. 
And he could have just said all authority and he could have left it at that. And that would have been sufficient, church. He could have just left it there and it would have been okay to stop right there. All authority. He didn't have to go on and explain all authority, period. But he knows his audience. He knows that we have a tendency to underestimate just how great and grand and glorious he really is. And so he added for some clarity, he added for some sense of scale, he added, he knew that we were going to need some help in trying to think big enough, he knew that when he said all authority, we were going to need some help in not underestimating him, so he added all authority, he added in heaven and on earth. Jesus is saying, just in case we're tempted to think too small, just in case we are inclined to think that he was only speaking about uh, authority here on earth and over the things here on the earth, he wants to remind us that all of the things here on earth, all of the things were made by him, and there was nothing that was made that was not made by him from the farthest reaches of the universe and beyond, way down to the, the smallest subatomic particle and beyond, and everything in between, it was all all made by him and there was nothing that was made that was not made by him all authority in heaven and on earth is his it's all his all authority and he is lord over it all and here's the thing we have to understand what kind of authority because there are all kinds of authority all kinds of authority this is not just the right to make decisions the specific kind of authority that he's talking about here and, and you have to get into the Greek to be able to discern this. And if you have a good Greek lexicon, you can do this. It's a, he's talking about dominion authority, rulership authority. This is like the, the authority that kings have. Absolute authority. Unquestionable authority. If I say it, it is. And it is because I said it. You know how when we like to pretend it with our kids? <laughs> well, why? Because I said so? Well, it really is that way with Christ. So when we ask him why, and he says, because I said so, that really is good enough. <laughs> because I said. All authority. Is good. That's the special kind of authority. It's dominion authority. It's rulership and dominion. It's not, church, it's not just the right to make decisions. Your boss has the right to make decisions. Your boss does not have dominion over you. Amen. Your boss has specific authority. Your boss does not have dominion over you. This is dominion authority. Jesus says, I have all dominion over all of heaven and all of earth. That encompasses everything. Every, all authority is mine. He starts the Great Commission with that truth. Everything, all authority is mine. So it's higher than just the ability to make decisions or the right to make decisions. And he holds all dominion and all authority. And here's the even grander and more glorious truth. He exercises it. Amen. Amen. It's not authority that he holds and, and doesn't use. 
It's not like a right that he has and doesn't exercise. He uses it. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. That's Matthew 10, 29. From the smallest bird falling randomly from a branch of a tree in a remote forest to the most massive tsunami, Christ rules. Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? Luke 8, 25. Church, can I suggest to you that the wind and the waves still obey him and still do exactly what he wills, as does all of nature? They didn't suddenly grow a mind of their own. God is still in control. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Hebrews 1 and 3. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. Colossians 1.17 The universe is upheld and sustained by Jesus. He is active in His exercise and dominion of all this dominion and authority in heaven and on earth. He is. And he has not surrendered it to another. I think I'm more excited about this than, than you are. This is, see, we talk about God being supreme and being sovereign and being in control. I don't know that we get it. He exercises his sovereignty in his control. He has not surrendered it to another. Do you know what this means? Come on, church. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. When you succeed, God is in control. What does that mean on the other end? Thank you, Jesus, when things aren't going my way. You're still in control. When I can't see my way through to tomorrow. You're still in control. You haven't surrendered your authority to another. Your throne is still your throne. You haven't given it to another. Oh, that we believed it. Oh, that we believed it. I have to spend some time on this here. All authority is given to Christ. Not man. Let me, let me say that again. All authority is given to Jesus Christ. Not man. So I feel like I have to say that. In this day and age. Because there is some. Well, there's a lot of error that I see from some well-meaning Christians and well-meaning pastors and 
preachers when it comes to applying this verse in the Great Commission. Um, error from people who I love and respect. And um, so I mean, I don't mean any disrespect to them. And so I say this in love and I say it understanding that I, I might be slapping a hornet's nest for some folks. But there is a twisting that's going on with this text that I believe is wrong. And um, it is dangerous and it is ultimately deadly for the faith of the person who is receiving this kind of teaching and for the integrity of the church. Very plainly and very clearly, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Amen. And yet, so many of our well-meaning brothers and sisters have strayed into error, claiming the authority of the believer from this text. The common misrepresentation of this text is that Jesus is saying... Hey guys, I have all authority and now I'm giving it to you. So go into the world and make disciples. Now let's be honest. How many times have you heard preachers and TV teachers and word of faith preachers and name it and claim it preachers and, and whoever else, prosperity preachers, many others, teach it that way? Am I just the only one? The problem is the text doesn't say that, does it? <laughs> I have heard that so many times. I mean, they talk about the authority of the believer. And you have authority. You've got power. And while the Bible does tell us that we have power, they point to this verse. And I'm thinking, that don't say that. That verse don't say that. That verse says that Christ has authority. So they're using this verse to support a theology. I'm, here's the thing. Let me, let me say this very carefully. I mean, I, be careful. And I caution you to be careful. This text does not say that. In fact, nowhere in the Bible does it say that we have that, that kind of dominion authority. Um, be very careful. And I mean be very careful. In fact, I would say take an approach that says... I'm going to reject that kind of teaching until you can show me in the scripture where it says this. That when anyone comes to you preaching a gospel that tries to elevate man to the level of God. Or sets man in the seat of Christ, which is what that does. That they're twisting and manipulating scripture. The angels cry, holy, holy, holy for him. Christ is the high and exalted one. Christ is the one that is seated on the throne of judgment. Christ is the one who is crowned with many crowns. Christ is the expressed image of the Father. Christ is the name above every name. Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is God and God alone. Beside him there is no other. Period. So that kind of teaching makes me very nervous. It bothers me, and I think it's a scar on the body of Christ. It's a, it's a black mark against the integrity of the church. And so I, I would caution you to run from it. I would. So that's my little word of caution to you. This, is not a, this does not teach the authority, quote-unquote, of the believer. It teaches the authority and supremacy of Jesus Christ. 
And that should be enough for us. That should be enough for us. So away with these ideas that because, oh, the point to these scriptures that say that, you know, we get to enter into his glory with him. And that means that because we get to share in his glory, we share in, in his authority. And, and then they say that, oh, the Bible says that we are seated with him in heaven and that he shares his throne. And then never says that we share his throne. We're seated with him in heaven. Yeah, we're in his presence. He shares his throne with nobody. His throne is his throne. What? Oh my goodness, I, I read this stuff that they put out there and I'm just, I just want to throw up. Are you kidding me? What Bible are you reading? Because they're not reading the one that I got. God shares his throne with no one. That means that we get to be in his presence. We don't share his throne. Oh, being in his presence ought to be enough. The Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures evermore. Why would you want his throne? Amen. Satan wanted his throne. Amen. Are you kidding me? Do you not? I mean, anyone who follows this kind of teaching ought to see the lies that are in it. That's what he tempted them with in the garden. Amen. So be careful. Just, just be careful. I, I would say proceed with caution, but don't. Don't proceed. Just put it away. Put it away from you. Amen. And if that bothers you, I'm happy to talk with you about it later. I'm saying this in love. I don't mean to... I mean, I know some people hold some of those kind of teachers in high esteem. I don't mean to burst your bubble. I, I say it in love. All right. It's one thing to be confident in your prayers. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be confident in our prayers. We ought to be confident because we are confident in His promises. Amen. Okay, that's, that's, that's okay. Be confident because, you know, I go to my mom and dad when I was little, confident in who they were and what they could do and what they would do for me. My, my kids come to me confident that I love them and that I will do for them. And, and that's okay. It's okay to go to God confident. That's the same thing with the, you know, when they went into the, wilder, or into the, the promised land with the 12 spies and they came back and, and 10 of them came back and their sin was that they weren't, it's not that they reported falsely, they reported accurately. They didn't lie about the land, did they? They're giants and that, was that a lie? No. What was their sin? They weren't confident in the promises of God. That was the sin. The two that came back, they, they, didn't, they didn't lie about the land either. They, they were confident in the promises of God. And oh, yeah, there are giants, but we can take it. Has not the Lord said that we can take it? So yeah, I mean, I'm not saying don't be confident in the Lord, but there's a difference between commanding and demanding and, the, and then humbly being confident in the Lord. We ask in Jesus' name, we trust with confidence that he is faithful and just to forgive and to provide and to heal and to make a way. Who commands the Lord? The Bible says that God is the one that calls things that be not as though they are. That's Romans 4.17. And I've heard, that, I've heard that preached to the believer. Call things that be not as though they are. Well, that's a direct misquotation of the scripture. Paul said that the Lord is the one that calls things that be not as though they are. Amen. And I've been told to do that. What you... Who commands the Lord? No one. So I'm going to get off that horse before I get in trouble. <laughs> I'm just trying to say that that kind of teaching makes me very easy, uneasy. Okay, so beyond all that, all authority is Christ's. And that, that's how we should want it. Who wants authority to be in man? Look at the world around you, right? And see how messed up that man makes things. Oh my goodness. 
It's his church, his authority, his dominion. That's why a lot of people get hurt in churches because they lose sight of that simple, simple truth. They forget that the church belongs to Jesus Christ and it is Jesus' authority. They see a man in the pulpit and they think it's a man's church. And so when that man lets them down and that man will let them down, guess what? They get hurt and they quit the church and they quit the faith altogether because their faith wasn't in Christ, it was in a man. And then guess what happens? It happens all the time on the other side, way too often from the other perspective. The man in the pulpit sets himself up, forgets that it's Christ, it's the head, and he thinks he's the head, and guess what? He takes the whole church with him. On Christ, on this rock, Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, that's the rock that he'll build his church on. Christ's church, his authority, my church. Have I spent enough time on that? I think so. Number one, I will build. (laughs) That was number two, number one. I will build. Jesus builds it. I will build. This is both a commandment and a promise, a commitment and a promise. He is committed to doing it, and he promised that he will. It's a commitment and a promise. That's a great combination, church. He's committed to doing it, and he promised that he will. I will build it. Upon this rock, I will build my church. This means that we can't take credit for it. Not for the success of the church, not for the growth of the church, we can't take credit for it. When the church expands and grows, it's not because of any power that we have, it's not because of my eloquence or your greatness with people, it's not because you invited a bunch of people, not because you sowed seeds or anything like that. One plants, one waters, but guess what? God brings the increase. When the church expands and grows, we don't, we don't, our only contribution to the growth of the church is our obedience to God's word. God brings the increase. So he who plants, he who waters is nothing, but only God brings the growth. And you know what? There are times in the church's long history when things get a little slim. Seems like people might be falling away. The numbers go down and we we dwindle down to just the faithful few. Don't sound the alarm just yet. That's okay. Jesus is the master builder, right? He said, I will build it. That's both a commitment and a promise. Amen. Guess what? It's just remodeling time. Amen. <laughs> There's some walls that need to be torn down. There's some rooms that need to be expanded. Somewhere along the way, some people begin to build their own structures onto his foundation. And he's patient with them for a while, for a season, but enough is enough. And it's time to get rid of some of the rot, so it's remodeling time. Amen. That's okay. Mm-hmm. We go through seasons. Mm-hmm. Don't panic. The church goes through seasons of shifting. Jesus is still the builder. Amen. It's his church. He's the builder. He said, I will build it. I'll build it, Peter. When Jesus sent his disciples out on their mission trips, that was their, their practice runs while he was still with them. He told them that if they came to a house or a village that wouldn't receive them, then just dust off your shoes and move on to the next one. Don't worry about it. When Paul wrote his second letter to the Corinthians, he told them that when he was preaching in Ephesus, the opposition was so fierce and the danger was so great to himself and to his friends that they despaired for their lives. You know, he might have been very tempted to give up in those conditions, but he knew that his job was to do the preaching and that Jesus would handle the building. 
Let me pause here and say this. It's not an if-then method of reasoning here. Not a if I do the preaching, then Jesus will do the building. No. See, the only time we need to put an if with God's promises is when God puts an if in there. Jesus didn't say, if you do it, I will build it. <laughs> Jesus said, I'll build it. All right? God's going to build his church. And you only need to look at the Apostle Paul's conversion to know that he'll build his church no matter what. The Apostle Paul didn't have a, an apostle to him. Amen. There was no one that came to him and showed him the gospel. Who did it? Jesus. The risen Christ on the road to Damascus. That even happens today. You, you just Google it. Look on the internet and you can see countless stories of people in unchurched, unreached, un, uh, unreached places where the gospel has not been preached in parts of the world where they have visions and dreams of the risen Christ and that causes them to, to get out of their homes and go to neighboring villages where they have missionaries. They'll, they'll track themselves across across deserts to find someone so that they can learn about this gospel and bring it back to their village. It happens all the time. He will build his church. He will build his church. It's not The only time we need to put an if in God's promises is if God put one there for us. All right? You don't need to worry about it. If God said he's going to do it, he's going to do it. He said, I will build it, period. And we need to look no further than Paul to, to know that. Paul's instructions were to preach the gospel, so that's what he did. Paul preached it, Jesus built it. It goes back to what Gary was saying last week. You know, Paul could have preached all day, every day, and he could have preached the very best, most eloquent, most moving sermons anyone ever heard in their lives, and not one person would have been changed. Not one person, not one heart could have been moved without an anointing. They didn't have an anointing. The Bible says that it pleased God through the foolishness of the message that we preached to save those who believed. The world views the gospel as foolishness. It's crazy. It's a crazy story to them. God created man. Man rebelled against God. And because of that, man is condemned to eternal judgment and death. And God loved man so much that he sent his only son uh, to become man and uh, to live a perfect life and to die for man. And then Jesus died and he rose again, defeating death and sin. Took all that punishment and judgment so that any person who believed in him could then live an eternal life with him. And the world looks at that and says, man, that's crazy. That's, that's just a weird story. That didn't make any sense. You have to be out of your mind to believe something like that. And that's how the world sees the gospel. But when the gospel is shared... When the gospel is shared from, from me to you and from, from in preaching and in personal stories and, in, and in, in acts of kindness and generosity, when the gospel is shared, Jesus starts building. Mm. Amen. That's where the Great Commission comes in back in Matthew 28. He says, go and make disciples. Something miraculous happens, church. Something happens when we share the good news of Jesus. Amen. The only thing that we contribute to it is our obedience. Christ does all the work. But there's a divine work of grace being wrought when the gospel is shared. Not just from the pulpit, but in your conversations. In your personal interactions. And that's why we ought to be intentional. That's why we ought to be, be mindful of the things that we say and the things that we share. Both in person and online. Let me punctuate that. Some of you need to hear that. 
and online. All right, I'll get off that one. Did you hear me? <laughs> God is, uh, this is so important, y'all, and this is miraculous. Think about this. God is sending us to do something that only he can do. Amen. Isn't that crazy? Amen. Did you think about that? God is sending us to do something that only he, only he can change a heart. But he sends us to do it. Mm -hmm. Wow, to be used like that. Yes, you know, surgeons perform surgeries. Mm -hmm. Scalpels don't. Amen. But surgeons don't perform surgeries without scalpels. Right. We are the agents of his will and the instruments of his power. Amen. Builders, they construct beautiful buildings but hammers and nails don't. Builders don't build without hammers and nails. And that's where we all fall into all of this. And that's God's design. He could have chosen to do it any other way. He could have just said, you're saved. But he didn't. He chose to build his church with the raw materials of you and me. All he requires of us is our obedience. I want to challenge you and remind you this morning. You aren't in this for you. When you signed up and you accepted Christ as your Savior, you accepted a life of sacrifice and service for a greater weight of glory. You said yes to dying to yourself and living for Christ, for the glory of his great name. There is a world of people out there that still don't know him, people that you know who don't know him, people who will die, and they're headed straight for a devil's hell. If someone doesn't tell them, don't let that go in one or out the other. This is real. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the instrument of that building is you. You're the hammer and the nail. You're the scalpel that he uses. We are the tools in the builder's hands. Let me pray with you. Father God, wow, you're good. We love you. We thank you for your holy word and we thank you for your son that you sent to die on a cross that we might be with you. We thank you for your church that you have built and that you continue to build. And we thank you for being a part of that. Lord, help us to be instruments in the building of it. Help us to be faithful to it. Lord, work in our hearts and minds. Show us opportunities where we can effectuate the building of your church. Move upon us, Lord. Send us out of here, Lord, with a missionary's heart to evangelize and preach and teach and love. You said they will know us by our love. Help us to display that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.